Now, today, I just tweeted this because it's super, super weird. Someone sent this to me overnight. Someone is using my picture. I'm going to just just give, read what this is for people listening later on. Who are these guys? Startup Flow. Startup Flow. Create a network of internal innovators. Shape a culture of innovation. All right, I won't say what I thought that sounds like. But anyway, the uh, <laughs> point here is that they've used my profile, like my, just my normal profile photo. And I only found out about this like 15 minutes ago, so I'm still a bit surprised. My normal profile photo, which I need to update because it's really old now, but regardless, they've put this. They've used it like a stock photo. And apparently I am, I'm Edward Larsen, and I'm from the Netherlands based on the flag there. It's kind of a Danish name, Dutch flag. And they've put this on their marketing material, on their website. And uh, I tweeted about it just before. And um, I said, all right, Startup Flow, WTF you doing with my pick in this? And of course, I mentioned it. Now, here's a fun story, and I didn't explain this in the tweet because I want to keep it succinct. A bunch of people replied to them like, oh, go and do DMCA takedown requests or uh, you know, whatever sort of copyright construct you've got in order to get that down. Like, basically, I should go and fill out paperwork and submit legal documentation. In my experience, <laughs> when something like this happens, which ultimately has very, very little impact on me, my photos all over the place anyway, the greatest, highest and best use of my time and the most impactful thing I can do is social shaming <laughs> because when and I just replied to someone based on this uh, when you do this social shaming particularly when you mention them and now there's all these replies their timeline blows up with everyone mentioning this thing it's very very low impact on me I just had to put out a tweet didn't have to fill out any form didn't have to sign anything or submit evidence that this is me so a lot less work, a lot more impact, uh, and if I'm honest, it's kind of funny too. So, so no, I'm not going to submit a DMCA takedown request. I am going to maximize the social leverage that I have with a profile that just passed 190,000 followers, which is very nice. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the sponsor, then I'll have a look at the, the comments that are coming through. So this week's sponsor is Verona. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about Verona's. Uh, this week simply because they have been a sponsor for so long and they've launched some stuff which is pretty cool so as i've said many times before i have done a lot of in-person stuff with veronis in the past which is extra nice for a sponsor because i am selective and as i've said before there are there are many organizations i would not want to have sponsor and there are some organizations i have sponsored in the past that let's just say i won't be doing it again Anyway, other end of the spectrum is Veronis. Done a lot of stuff with these folks in person. And they do a lot of sort of what they refer to as data-centric security. So in the past, they've done really interesting things. In fact, I've done courses for Veronis in the past about things like uh, looking at user behavioral analytics in order to figure out whether or not access to data uh, fits expected norms or not. And this stuff is really, really cool because we're sort of going from the old... Uh, does someone have the right username and password? Yep, okay, cool, YOLO, you just get access to everything. Through to, uh, yeah, Bob comes into the office each day and Bob logs onto the sales portal and Bob does his Excel spreadsheet. Uh, one day Bob logs on from Beijing and pulls down five terabytes of data. You know, like, <laughs> maybe it's not Bob. So they've got a history of doing this sort of thing. Anyway, so they have uh, now released something else which I think is is worth talking about, which is their Dat Vantage, Dat Vantage, Dat Vantage Cloud. 
Now, the headline is a little bit marketing, but the content is actually interesting. Um, in fact, there's a Yahoo Finance headline. Bring data-centric security to additional mission-critical cloud services. But the, the crux of it, and this is what I think is a bit more interesting, the crux of it is that organizations end up with data in all sorts of other places outside their normal physical boundaries. They end up with stuff in various different clouds, uh, obviously uh, all sorts of O365 stuff, Amazon clouds, Google clouds. So they're now getting very focused. I'm looking at some of the bullet points I made earlier on here. They're now getting very focused on how do you sort of uh, audit activity based on that data? How do you alert on behavioral deviations, discover sensitive data? Uh, looking at things like permissions, organizations have an absolute clutch of permissions. So many different permissions in so many different places. How do you know who's got access to what? So I think what makes it really interesting here is that these guys are starting to focus beyond just the physical boundaries of the organization and how does data security look once you actually get up into the place where most organizations have some degree of data today, increasingly large amounts of data, into the cloud. Uh, so again, look, big thanks to Veronis. They are inevitably that they must be my longest, most frequent sponsor uh, and very nice people that I've spent time with in person to boot. Now, moving on. Comments. <laughs> Here we go. Here, Burton. How are you? How's the weather? We had our coldest day of the year yesterday. I I saw on my home assistant because now I can actually look at the weather on the roof, not the weather in the weather station somewhere near here. We we touched seven point eight degrees Celsius. I oh, know it's crazy, right? <laughs> For winter, and then we got up to like eighteen, nineteen. So if I look at the weather on the roof in home assistant over here. Um, this morning, not quite as bad. It's 11.3 now, and we hit, what did we hit yesterday? So yesterday morning, we hit 7.9 at uh, about half an hour later than this. It's 6.20 in the morning here at the moment. And then we had a high of 17.5. So this is this is sort of typical winter. Uh, interestingly, the news was saying it was the coldest day in, I think they said in Sydney, for like 35 years. Um which is yeah, which is kind of curious because it's fairly early in winter as well. Q like conspiracy theorists about global warming say, well, that shows there's no global warming. But anyway, another story. Um, people from all sorts of different places here. G'day, everyone. Thank you for joining in. Stuart, hi, Edwin. Yeah, thanks. So Edwin is the person that I was in the in this misappropriation of my picture. Um, okay, so. What do we got here? Something Gold Coast Road. By the way, you're right. Gold Coast is about the size of Amsterdam. So your claim regarding the water channels, uh, or we'd call them canals here, holds. All right. Awesome. Jamie says, do you have any links getting started with Home Assistant? So I, in fact, this, well, let's just shuffle things around a little bit. I'll start talking about IoT. Oh, that was actually first on my list. If you want to read about Home Assistant and my experiences, now this is not a deep technical how-to. It is a higher level thing but i think it's really important to understand before you dive in uh, there is a five-part series for me on iot if you google my name and iot you'll find uh, these five parts on it so home assistant is it's actually pretty easy to get started with mechanically but i really think that that primer that five-part series is really really valid as is what i'm about to say next let me start complaining about iot for a little bit i am writing a blog post and it's it's effectively how messed up iot is and the things that I would do to fix it had I the ability to do so. Now, where did this begin? Lights. So the lights that you can see just reflecting off the back of the wall here, I don't know what brand they are. 
I don't know what brand a lot of my lights are. Some of the ones I bought recently are, are Arlec. I'm not sure if they sell Arlec outside of Australia. For the Aussies, I just bought them at Bunnings. Uh, they're about 30 bucks each for a downlight. A lot of the other lights I've gotten here have been branded um, been branded nothing. <laughs> so I bought a bunch from Oz Smart Things, which is a great online store here in Australia to buy. I get uh, a lot of LEDs from there and I get a lot of Shelleys from there. I'll come back to Shelleys in a moment too. The thing is, all these different brands, the, the one thing that, that most of the ones I've played with have in common is that they compare to Tuya. This is T-U-Y-A. Chinese brand that produces a lot of IoT stuff. Uh, they use the same chipsets as a lot of other non-two-year brands. They use, uh, it's an ESP, well, whatever, whatever. Uh, anyway, bottom line is you can go and buy these different brands. You can pair them all through the two-year app, and then there's a two-year integration in Home Assistant. So what it means from a usability perspective is I can get one of these lights, I can plug it in and out five times quickly, which puts it in pairing mode, starts blinking. I can pick up my iPhone, I can open the two-year app, I can pair it, automatically appears in Home Assistant, and then I can control colors and turn them on and off and, and warmth and that sort of thing. A little bit of mucking around, you've got to set some configuration to uh, redefine the supported features. Uh, so I, I find that if I don't do that, I don't get color control. Do that once, color control, job done. So far, so good. Where it really dawned on me that I needed to do something a little bit different is when I put, I think it was 22 lights out the front of the house uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I've had these old halogen bulbs. Uh, they were in the house when I moved in six years ago. They would have gone in the house about 14 years ago when it was uh, uh, renovated. And they're shit in all sorts of different ways. So as I said on this channel before, they're shit in that they burn very very hot like if if you if you touch it it's going to hurt kind of thing like a traditional light bulb uh, compared to an led which burns really really cold i could get up there and touch the certainly the surrounds there no problems they use a lot of electricity they are very very power inefficient the bulbs blow really really frequently the what else do I like about them? The, the ones that were put into this house have like a metal surround. Now we are right, like literally a stone's throw to the water. Um, we are on the water, and it is tidal. It is salt water, so all of them are rusting in different ways. The ones up here are like a white plastic. Anyway, crap in all sorts of ways. So what they used to do is they would have two 40 volt mains run into a transformer. Transformer converts them into 12 volts, and then just a couple little wires go down into the socket for the bulb and what uh, what we've done is sparky's come out he's cut all of those off he's put normal mains sockets running 240 volts into the roof and then each one of these lights up here it's like a light with a cable hanging off the end of it with just a normal power plug on the end of it so you can service them yourself i can pop these out of the roof i can put new ones in plug them in job done anyway so they're all two-year paired now in home assistant when i go in and i say turn them on it has to do this via the two-year cloud. So I'm talking a home assistant on my Raspberry Pi downstairs locally, and it's going, hey, two-year cloud, turn this one on. And it seems to do it all in series. It's like, turn this on, it gets a response. Okay, cool, now turn this one on. So what it means is that when you get lots of lights around the house and lots of things that happen in series, you see all stuff happening bit by bit by bit. Now, I think I'm turning on probably about 40 lights in total now when I set my late evening scene. So it's a really noticeable delay. I want to put them up in, or I want to get them from the cloud <laughs> down locally in terms of local control. So two different ways of doing this. One way is you can say, uh, 
let's do it this way. One way is you can say, I would like to just have local control of the existing devices with the existing firmware. And there is a Home Assistant integration called Local Tuya. The way Local Tuya works is you need the IP address of the device. And unless someone can correct me, you need to have a static IP. Not ideal, but also I can work around that. And you also need to have two keys. You need to have a device key, uh, which I believe is meant to be like a public key. And then there's like a private key, which, and this is not like encryption, public key, private key, but a key that can be known by others. And then there is a secret, which is actually used to control the device. Extracting those keys is a pain in the ass. And most of the guidance on the internet is no longer relevant because two of you have changed a bunch of their API implementation. Uh, so you used to be able to go onto the two-year IoT cloud and then you could set up a cloud account and you had to kind of hack around that in a couple of ways and then you could add your devices. They killed that a couple of months ago. So you can't get your keys that way. You can have a rooted Android device load your own APK and then pull out some of the settings. The only Android device I have is this old Lenovo tablet, <laughs> which, which no longer works. I just cannot get this to power up anymore. So... That wasn't going to work. You can run BlueStacks, which is an emulator on your PC, and then you can use BS Tweaker to pull out settings, which is great, but you have to get the old Smart Life app. You can't use the new Smart Life app because inevitably they're encrypting stuff in storage and you can't access the keys. So I go and get the old Smart Life app. Uh, it turns out there are two two-year apps. There's a Smart Life app and there is a two-year smart app. A lot of smart stuff. Smart Life, Smart I don't know. Anyway, there's two of them. I've been in the blog post. And all of my stuff is paired to the one which is not in any of the demos. I could pair it to the ones in the demos, but I have to unpair 86 lights I've got in two year now. Unpair 86 lights and repair them all. Doing it once, twice, three times, I can kind of handle, but it is a painful thing. And then eventually I do get the keys out because I get like a demo light. Get my demo light, I get the key out. But then you go into the local two year integration in Home Assistant and it doesn't accept the keys. It rejects it as an error. See the logs for the error. And all it does is tells you there's an error. <laughs> there's no information. There is a line in Python. I could go to the integration. I could figure out what's happening on that line. Why is it failing? But you're just going further and further down the rabbit hole. So the other approach is you can flash the firmware. You can flash like ESP Home and Tasmoto onto the device. You don't have to solder devices anymore. Good news. <laughs> but to do it, it is a very laborious per device process. Now, one of the things is a bunch of my lights are in places I literally can't get to, even with my ladder. My ladder's not big enough because a bunch of them are up in the roof. Really don't want to have to do that. But it's like, okay, I'm desperate. I will try it with my test light. When I go to try and flash it on the test light, it fails. Now, the only way I could flash as well, you have to have a Linux machine. So I went and got a Raspberry Pi. And I went and installed the distribution that folks suggested. I installed uh, whatever the two-year flashing app is. It's all in the blog post. Did that. Couldn't flash the light. People have said, all right, well, apparently Tasmoda, not, not Tasmoda, apparently two-year has changed recent versions of firmware, such as the effectively the exploit that was used to be able to reflash your own firmware over the physical hardware no longer works. And at that point, I completely lost my shit. So the point is, Trying to get these devices to have local control is exceedingly hard for all sorts of reasons. And what, to be honest, has just pissed me off a little bit is so many times people have said, oh, you just do this thing. I said, well, yeah, that doesn't work anymore. Or just doing that thing is actually very time consuming and laborious. And if you screw it up, you may also brick your device, in which case you no longer have a device. 
it's just too hard. Like it's and and when I say it's just too hard, I, I will just leave it as it is. I will leave it with cloud control, um, or I will start buying Zigbee devices. I'll come back to that. Um, it it's just too hard as 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 a, a thing for normal consumers. Like if I'm sitting here struggling and I get to sit here day in and day out thinking about technology, normal everyday people just can't do this stuff. And there's a bunch of stuff that needs to happen in order to make this industry play nice and this is what the blog post is about it's like here just just so that everyone understands there are loads and loads and loads of problems with this and all of the solutions people have have different problems in different ways these are the things that we'd like to do differently now touch on the zigbee bit quickly before i move on to other things what i've found with zigbee devices is that everything is working a lot nicer now there's a big problem with zigbee which we'll come back to but for example i got uh philips hue lily xls if you want to see what they look like, just Google Hue Lily XL. They're outdoor lights. They're quite large. They weren't cheap in Australia. I think they're about 230 bucks for each light. But they compare either with the Philips Hue Hub or you compare it directly to your Conbi in your Home Assistant uh, implementation. Now, what that means is that they are communicating entirely locally. Home Assistant down there in the cupboard is just out over the air communicating to the lights. Also, Zigbee. <coughs> When you have a powered Zigbee device, it forms part of a Zigbee mesh network. So when I put those five lights out there, not only were they talking to the Conbee, but they're talking to each other and they're talking to things like all my other little Zigbee devices, such as this little motion sensor I have in my hand. And that is fantastic. No cloud control plus extends your mesh network. I'm going to get more of those out the other side of my house. I've got some out the back. I'm going to get some out the front. Why don't I just put those in the roof? <coughs> A little bit of loss aversion because <laughs> I do have a bunch of IP-based lights, but it's, it's not like I've spent many thousands of dollars or something like that on it. So if over time I replace them with Zigbee, not such a problem. The biggest problem I've found is that there are IP-based IoT lights all over the place that you can just chuck in your roof and go and they're well-priced. Zigbee, you are extremely limited in range here. If I want to go and get like 90 mil down lights there is a very very small range and they are a lot more expensive so what i'd really like to do is find iot zigbee down lights that i compare to the conbi for similar prices to those and then i can start looking at it going okay cool this is this what i'm going to put in 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 different rooms in different areas of the house so anyway that is my story of iot woe that's going to go into the blog post because I do think, I do think it's an industry which, it's like, which it's just at a very exciting time. It's such a fragmented mess, which suggests that there's a huge amount of opportunity for how this thing is going to grow in the future. And as, as pissed off and frustrated as I must sound, some of it's kind of fun. Actually, whilst I'm pissed off and frustrated, Shelley's, <laughs> I've got a Shelley sitting here on the desk. This is one that I tried to put in behind my fish tank. So the, here's what the Shelley looks like. So this is the IoT Relay. There is a big fish tank built into this house, um, which I don't really know much about. The fish seem happy. It's nice to look at. It has a light. <laughs> so I was like, it'd be nice to integrate that into the network so I could turn the light on behind the fish tank each night uh, with my sunset scene. And I'm having a lot of trouble pairing the Shelleys. Pairing the Shelleys with the native app is an absolute mess. Um, it, it managed to work. Just, you know how like you do something in an app and you're like, did that work or not? I'm not sure. And then you see signs of life. So I could see it, for example, appear on my Unify network. 
but then I couldn't access it by IP address. So I pulled this one out, put another one in. Similar problems with that. The pairing process with the app is absolute shit. I've started, uh, I, I did a factory reset on one this morning. You have to like kill power to the unit and then flick it on and off five times within the first 60 seconds of boot. No problems. It then broadcasts an SSID. You can connect to that. You can hit an IP address. You can then go in and put in the network details and it will apparently join that. Has it joined that? If I look at my Unify network now. So if it does that, then that is a better pairing experience than the app, which has frankly become pretty useless now that I've disconnected them from the cloud because they run MQTT. Another rabbit hole. So anyway, I'm not having a great time with IoT. Let me, uh, let me have a look at some comments just here before we move on. Lots of people all over the world. Thanks for chiming in there. Um, Robert says, Hi from Switzerland. I've come across an e-commerce website with seemingly insecure practices, e.g. emailing passwords in plain text. There's a website called Plain Text Offenders. If you go and search for Plain Text Offenders, you can go and name and shame websites that do the wrong thing here. Hey, perhaps we're of any European legislation around this. I'm not sure that there is any legislation around emailing plain text passwords. And then to some extent, there is a parallel with password resets, which is that you get an email with something in it that gives you access to the account, but it's meant to be single use and time limited and so on. Um, name and shame on plain text offenders. You might get somewhere there. Uh, everyone's looking at painful <laughs> IoT experiences here. Um, uh, Opinions in text says, would this be a business opportunity to create a simple platform uh, to make this easier, which I assume you mean uh, uh, make IoT easier? This is really the, the value proposition of Home Assistant. And Home Assistant does an admirable job. It is, it, it, it certainly doesn't feel mainstream consumer ready. But for most of you listening to this at the moment and for myself, it's something that we can we can work with very well. And I love the premise that they have here of there, there is a platform and then there are integrations and the community can go and build all of these integrations. And then what that will do is enable things like to your lights to talk to Home Assistant. Or if I look around, what else I've got in the house? Um, printers. Yeah, if and I actually removed this integration because it was pointless. But if you really want to know the state of your ink cartridges in Home Assistant, there is an integration where Epson can talk to Home Assistant. I think that model is fantastic that the challenge is what will the physical devices actually support? Now, part of the premise of this blog post I'm writing is that we need to see physical devices encouraging, not even necessarily encouraging, but supporting local access. I can't see any good reason why, given that we're really just talking firmware here, can't see any good reason why these lights up here can't support local control and support cloud control. In fact, that's what, when they work, <laughs> that's what the Shellys do. The Shellys, you can control them from Shelly Cloud. You can join them into Shelly Cloud. I can be outside my house and have nothing in my house IoT-wise other than this one Shelly, and I can start turning on lights and things from somewhere remote. Fantastic. Or I can access them directly because I've got APIs. I can access them via MQTT locally within the network. So I would love to see and I don't, I don't want to say it's something that you, that you regulate because I don't think it's a regular, regulatory sort of thing. But I'd love to see an industry push towards local control of these things. And then suddenly Home Assistant becomes that much more valuable because so much less shit keeps breaking the whole time. I'll see. What else in the comments here? 
Jonathan Fermi on Philip DeFranco's show. Uh, that was a fun show. <laughs> if, any, if, if you haven't heard of Philip DeFranco, which I hadn't before, go and watch him. He was great. Uh, Stuart says the Philips Hue Lilies are beautiful, expensive, but really well made. They are. I'll tell you what really stands out with the Philips Hue Lilies. Uh, I've had a bunch of outdoor lights that, that were here from the 14-year-old Renault, and they're in a, a, a silver metal surround, <laughs> so of course they rust <laughs> because ocean, and they would have a flat surface that the light comes out of and, and no sort of, they're not recessed in any way and they'd shine up on the trees or whatever else and, and that would be kind of nice. But if you look at the light, you'd see this glowing orb in the ground. You'd see this sort of bright light. What's nice about these Lily uh, XLs, if you look at them online, that they come with a removable shade and they're in black. So once they sit in the garden, you cannot see them and because the shade hides the light from direct visibility or, or the, effectively the, the end of the, the light from direct visibility all you see is the glow up on the trees or the walls or things like that so it creates a beautiful effect and everyone that's seen them here has gone wow that's really really nice yes they're expensive but they're really nice uh Stefan says all this iot stuff seems like a lot of trial and error y yeah you're you're right mate it's um it, it is and as frustrated as i am at times and i have blown copious amounts of time on this for people like like i know you are Stefan, like i think many other people are uh it, it is fun tinkering around with this so i'm now at the point where we're doing a bunch of other repairs and i've spoken about how many leaks i have in this house bunch of other repairs uh, and then updates to various areas and i will be doing some more stuff with things like dimmers and more iot we'll talk about that more in the future so look i'm, I'm invested enough to continue down the path it's not just like loss aversion where i feel like i'm stuck and i've got to do it anyway um but it it it, it is in my view at least worth it and i do get a lot of pleasure from it as well Burton says, what does the electrician think about them? He's pretty, uh, he's pretty impressed with them. He's pretty happy about them. Um, again, sort of same comment that they look awesome. They're, they're pricey. There's a bunch of other outdoor stuff that Philips has done as well. And I think they only launched all this stuff last year, but a bunch of other outdoor lights, particularly in black. So part of the, the theme which we're doing in this house as we renovate and fix certain things is, uh, is replacing a lot of like silver shiny things with, with black and matte black. Uh, so they look really good with that. All right, moving on. Scammers. Oh, man. I keep getting these scam calls. Now, the, 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 sort of the pattern that I've had a lot lately is you get uh, a call, which is a recorded message. Now, the one I've had almost every day the last week is uh, something wrong with your Amazon order. You know, press one. So uh, hang up. I've done the patience for shit. Or, or you'll get, um, you know, this This is the ATO, the Australian Tax Office. Uh, you need to call up or we're going to arrest you. Well, that might be the police one. Anyway, it's always the same sort of thing. But I got one yesterday, which was, this is Telstra. And when, they, uh, when the message came in, <laughs> the message, it just sounded kind of funny. Now, what do I mean by funny? I'm just going to pick the exact wording out of the tweet here. Um, the message said, my internet connection, let me try this again, my internet connection is being hacked by some overseas people, which is really funny because for me, just about everybody's overseas. And it just sounded kind of weird. So I was like, ah, oh, what the hell, we'll give this a go. So I was somewhere in the vicinity of here. So I've come up, so like fire up Audacity, put the phone on speaker, get the microphone down, like, let's just see how weird this shit gets. And it did get pretty weird because 
the, the, the one pattern all of these calls have, and I had recorded a bunch of them, particularly around 2012, I was recording a bunch of them and putting them up. Um, one of them goes for an over an hour, 20 minutes. I think it's at like 1.1 million views at the moment where I actually let them into a honeypot machine and then just see what they do. So I'm always interested in, in what is the social engineering aspect of this? How do scammers convince people that they need to hand over money? Because ultimately this is the MO, right? Like how do we part people from their money? So this one, oh, so weird. The guy's like, and, and this is all recorded. You can go and have a look at the tweet of it. The guy's like, uh, okay, go to your internet browser and search for validator. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Like, what am I going to get when I search for validator? And if you go to Chrome yourself, you can do this. Search for validator. And he's like, what's the first result? It's like the W3C markup validation service. It's just literally validated at W3C.org. And I'm thinking in the back of my head, it's like, there's no way they're going to be able to use this in a scam. But he's like, yep, click that link. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is going to be interesting. And I'm doing this in real time again now. And then he's like, okay, in the address bar type, www.telstra which is, again, our tel telco here, .com, uh, and then check. And you check that, and it's thinking. And I'm like, I've used this tool so many times, I know exactly what's going to come back. <laughs> and then you get all of these warnings. So, of course, it's just it's literally gone to telstra.com. It's pulled back the HTML. And then it's like, the type attribute is unnecessary for JavaScript resources because there's a script tag here that has a type attribute. Apparently, you don't need that anymore. So, therefore, you get this warning. And he's like, yep, hackers in your network. Like, what? <laughs> like, because Telstra has uh, a type attribute on their JavaScript tag that is evidence of a hacker in my network. And, and I'm like, oh, okay, right. Um, yeah. And then he, he's, and I was like, okay, well, I don't have a lot of time, so I've got to pull the pin on this somewhere. Let's just see where it goes. So then he sends me to any desk. So he wants me to go over to any desk and uh, download remote control software. And that was the point at which it's like, okay, fine, I know what happens next. So you download remote control software, you give them remote control, and then things get even more messed up. So anyway, that was the MO. So the, the whole sort of point about how this thing would work was to, um, and I'm just going to try and find a, something else that happened after this. Whole point of it is convince the person that they have viruses by showing them some form of warning or error. So in past episodes that I have recorded, they'll get you to go to the event viewer. Go to the event viewer, and in the event viewer, you will find some errors and some warnings because it's the event viewer. This is what the event viewer does. That's viruses, allegedly. So this one was using W3C validator and then using AnyDisk to uh, get control of your machine. Now, I also tweeted AnyDesk in this, knowing, suspecting that I would not get a good response because in the past, I have done this with TeamViewer. Now, TeamViewer was used extensively in these scam calls. In fact, the recordings that I did back in that 2012 era uh, had that in there. And when I say had that in there, we had a lot of incidents of... Um, Scammers using TeamViewer to get control of your machine, in some cases, literally nuke your machine and then demand money. So I copied AnyDesk and I said, look, you know, you guys need to be aware you've got, uh, you've got scammers using your, uh, your software. Uh, and I didn't think I'd get a very good reply. <laughs> and I was right. So I'm just going to read you what AnyDesk wrote here. Getting ready for this. So, 
I said, uh, CC AnyDesk, hope you're aware your service is being used to scam people. Now, they replied yesterday, and here's what they said, and then it escalated. They said, <laughs> I can't believe, users violating our terms of use are being banned. Oh, oh, no, there was one before this. But the problem is they break the tweet thread. What they're doing here, these people need to learn how to Twitter. Uh, what they're doing is they will do like the, the typical sort of one of six, two of six, three of six, but instead of combining it in a thread, every single one of these is replying to the parent. So you can never read the thread that like the thread basically flattens out. Uh, it, it is not in logical order. Here you go. Hello, Troy. Thank you very much for pointing this issue out. Scamming is completely against our terms of use, and this is not something we would tolerate. Oh, well, that will fix it. We'll just make it illegal. In fact, I, I went back to them and said, well, like crime is against the law as well, but it still happens, right? We are actively fighting this type of client crime. We closely uh, cooperate with law enforcement authorities. And then if I go back to close the thread here, users violating our terms of use are being banned upon identification. Scans can be reported on this link where you can find more details. Now, frankly, any ability to report this is completely useless because what am I going to report if I have someone scamming me from the other side of the world? It's like, I had a phone call from this number. They used your software. Yeah, good luck actually fixing that. So I uh, I replied to them and I said, that's a bit like making crime illegal and expecting that to fix the problem. Clearly you're not on top of this problem yet, given other similar reports. And in fact, I quote tweeted a friend of mine. Um, she had experienced the same thing. So their replies, which then came through overnight, were, were frankly pretty pathetic. Uh, now, if I try, <laughs> this thread's broken. Caesar replies, Internet crime significantly increased since early 2020, as reported by governmental governmental authorities worldwide. The structure and methodology scammers use are diverse. Who cares? <laughs> that has nothing to do with what we were just talking about. Uh, and then it went downhill from there. That's part one. Part two. AnyDesk is aware of the situation and is monitoring and adjusting its service on a constant basis to make it difficult to abuse the system. Not working. While at the same time, we have to keep in mind the customers that require specific features to run their business. That was part two. It's, oh, here's part three. It's below part four. Fighting fraud is way more than taking actions on the technological side. Since the platform is replaceable and whole approach is more complex in some cases, even include offline transactions. I really appreciate Social Media Monkey here telling me about fighting online fraud. That's great. Uh, part four. Your engagement is very much appreciated, helping others to understand the methodology and approach. Our common mission should be to educate users on how to use technology safely, no matter if this is remote desktop software or secure passwords. Getting educated on passwords now. Part five, AnyDesk, as many other platforms, is providing help for those who are interested to learn more. Please feel free to share the following detailed information on how to avoid scams with your community. Last part, and then I'm really out of patience with these guys. AnyDesk is committed to prevent fraud in the best way, in the best possible way, and is committed to actively preventing such actions. We are investing heavily in research and development to detect fraud. Best regards, your AnyDesk team. So my only reply to that, and then I'm going to move on because these guys are just pissing me off now. I said this and the other five tweets are cut and paste platitudes that downplay your role in this and deflect responsibility. I know this is non-trivial, but messaging like this isn't doing you any favours. Sounds fair? I think organisations like this need to do a better job, particularly when they appear over and over and over and over again. And in fact, the point I made back in the day with, uh, with TeamViewer was that there needs to be 
much better ability to detect these fraudulent patterns. Now, I can detect <laughs> as a human. I reckon within about three seconds when I get one of these calls that it's going to be a scam. And I would suggest that there are many observable patterns which are common across these uses of their platform. And I'll just leave it at that. They won't do anything. All right, in the comments here. Stefan, did you create a GUI interface in Visual Basic to track his IP address? Oh, that goes back. That was one of the, uh, that was a clip uh, from, I think it was CSI Cyber that I would use at the start of many of my presentations back when I used to talk in front of people because it was just funny. Nathan, my favorite scammer revenge was the guy who hacked the scammer's whole VoIP network and made their phone ring nonstop. I have seen a couple of hackbacks uh, in videos which have been pretty good fun as well. Nathan says, these, these companies have to know what's going on with their services, same as the, as the services they use to make the calls. Same thing. Rambling Geek says, what can they do? What am I missing? There would, I mean, we we're just talking about Veronis and user behavioral analytics earlier on. There would be very common behavioral patterns, everything from the originating IP addresses. Every one of these scams I have ever, ever, ever heard has originated from India. And I'm just saying that cautiously because I know that that's a massive generalization, but I cannot think of a case where that hasn't been traced back to the subcontinent. Um, to see to see patterns originating from there, I would assume from common IP addresses, I'm not quite sure how much effort goes into actually randomizing those. I would imagine a lot of accounts that get set up very quickly and are then used to connect to people in this part of the world. And I appreciate there are legitimate call centers and so on, which may need to do this as well. Um, it would also be interesting to have a look at, um, I'm not sure how much visibility they have into what is actually happening within the session. Uh, but there are very clear patterns within the session. It's like, hey, this person's running Event Viewer. And you do get remote control as well. So I wonder if they can see remote keystrokes. I suspect the most obvious answer to all this is that there would be many, many different ways of handling this, but there is not enough incentive for organizations like AnyDesk to invest the effort in doing it. Robotas. I recall last year you've discussed your Sony Alpha Series mirrorless together with HMI camera card. Assuming you still use it, and what do you think of the setup? So this is an a Sony A6400 camera body with a Sigma something something lens <laughs> that then goes through an Elgato cam link. If you Google Troy Hunt Ultimate Home Office, about a year ago, I redid all of this. I did it just before end of tax year, <laughs> so I could write it off in that year. Uh, all of the details about everything I used is in there. All right, uh, let's move on because I am starting to run short on time here. The Verge did a great visualization of have I been pwned data. Now, this is actually really, really cool where they did get in touch with me and let me know they're going to do this, even though they they didn't need to because it's all public data. Have I have I brain pwned? Have I been pwned? Uh, Verge. Now, what I found really fascinating about this was just the visualization of data, here we go, there's 10 years of data breaches. And then as you scroll through this, you, you get a big infographic, and normally I'm not real keen on infographics because they just seem to be a, I was gonna say a fancy way of representing information, which sounds kind of positive, but a lot of the time I just find them a little bit of a waste of space. But this is good because it gives you a very good visual sense of just how many incidents there've been uh, and the sizes of them. And I guess the thing that sort of struck me as I scroll through this is 
holy shit, I've done a lot of work. <laughs> because every single one of these breaches, I've had to individually verify and process and load and tweet about and send out notifications for. Uh, so if you want to see how much work has gone into Have I Been Pwned the last seven and a half years, just scroll through that and think about what goes into every single one of these dots on the graph. Uh, it has been a little bit insane. Anyway, that's that's really cool. I'm glad that they did that because I think it's really important to understand the scale uh, and the prevalence of these issues. Something else. Oh, this one bugged the hell out of me, and I'll explain why. Rock U 2021. Now, Rock U uh, was, I believe still is, organization had a data breach, I think 2009. They had uh, passwords in plain text. It was 2009. That went into a big word list that people used for password cracking, uh, also to block known bad passwords. Rocky is sort of the canonical password password list. And I'm just trying to think of a better way to explain it. <clears throat> it's just a shitload of passwords, right? Like real world passwords that people used on this service and then other people have used them for both good purposes and bad purposes. But the Rocky list has sort of been like the the canonical password list. So a couple of days, news pops up about Rocky 2021, 8.4 billion passwords. And this is all over the news. Uh, I've got all these people DMing me about it and CCing me in tweets. And there's all these news stories of the world's biggest password list and all this kind of crap. And as soon as I read the headline, like 8.4 billion passwords, I'm doing the math. <laughs> I'm like, okay. How many people are there in the world? How many are on the internet? I think it's like 4.7 billion people or something are on the internet. Uh, people reuse a lot of passwords, not just their own passwords, but you get different people use the same password. So the total number of passwords ever created in the world, I would suggest, is something less than 4.7 billion. I'd suggest it's a lot less. I would suggest that it is probably very low 10 figures, very low billion. So where do you get... 8.4 billion from like that just that just doesn't fly anyway you start to unfold this and it very very quickly you realize that the reason it's 8.4 billion i'm looking at my tweet thread here is because the passwords in this list they do come from previously breached passwords or previously previous data breaches uh there is some stuff that is that there is also every word in the Wikipedia database and words from the Project Gutenberg free ebook collection. So th this, this isn't a password list. This is a word list. Some of those words have been used as passwords. And it just drives me nuts looking at the headlines, which are like biggest password list. Some of them are like, go and change your password now. Uh, and a bunch of them are like, this is going to change password cracking. It's like, no, it's just... It's literally just words. Maybe you want to block those words, but this doesn't suddenly put anyone's... Like, there is nothing new in there, number one. But number two, it is an aggregation of both passwords and normal words. And I just don't understand how this thing has gotten so much... Tra well, actually, I do understand. It's the internet. People share random shit all the time without doing any research whatsoever about it. So... This is garbage. Uh, it's definitely not going into pwned passwords. Pwned passwords is a list of passwords that has been pwned. That's why it's called pwned passwords, not 
great big list of words. Uh, that would be a different project. Now, maybe organizations want to use pwned passwords and this because, of course, pwned passwords is getting a bunch of stuff that wouldn't be in here. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But this is just absolute noise and garbage and it's taking us away, taking a focus away from actually doing useful stuff. I feel better getting that off my chest. What's in the comments here? Um, other people using the same camera setup, which is good. Uh, something here about this was this was you, the interview for Darknet Diaries, great podcast. I did a, a Darknet Diaries some time ago, uh, but seconded Darknet Diaries, great podcast, amazing stuff. Shut up, computer, <laughs> not you guys. <laughs> All right, two more things, and then I've got to go. Uruguay, the Uruguayan government is now on Have I Been Pwned. They're the 20th government, the second Latin America government to be on Have I Been Pwned. So I am super happy for them. There is another one scheduled for this coming Monday. And there is a constant backlog of others that I'm consistently... I was doing one per week and then Belgium sort of jumped the gun. So I did two <laughs> last week. Uh, but there is a, a fairly solid backlog of one government uh, per week for some time into the future. Um, for each one of these, I, I do need them to, to go, yep, we're happy to, uh, you know, happy you to publish the blog post. Some governments are like, we want to review this with all of our PR people. Uh, other governments are like, YOLO, just publish and you're fine to go. So uh, the, the cadence will depend on approvals, but for the foreseeable future, I think we'll be seeing one each week. Now, last thing, this is good if, if Stefan's still around as well. Stefan and Pwn Passwords. So... I've had an enormous amount of positive feedback on Pwn Passwords being open source and the initiative to have an ingestion pipeline from the FBI for passwords that appear in, uh, in the process of their investigations. And that's fantastic to have the enthusiasm and also to have lots of people contributing code. Now, Stefan is still there, just <laughs> seeing the comments. The challenge then, and I was really conscious about this when I said I was going to open source it. Open sourcing Have I Been Pwned or a part of Have I Been Pwned was never like, you know, here's the keys, let's just go for it. It was always going to have to be very cautious in terms of which bits and then how I coordinate community contributions. So this was... This was something I was very, very conscious of. And this is what it took from August last year until only a couple of weeks ago. I was like, okay, cool. We've now got pwned passwords into the .NET Foundation and the code's open and you can make contributions and all the rest of it. So my, my challenge is I, I, I really need to do less work. And I'm, I'm actually serious about this. I, I have to do less work because there are so many things that take my attention and many of them I like doing you know the IOT stuff takes my attention I have fun with it uh, I need to have fun in my day like I can't just spend all day processing data breaches and doing conference talks and things like this uh, that there has to be balance and I have to try and reduce the effort as opposed to increase it and and I knew that open sourcing it was at least to begin with going to increase it but I always knew that there would be people that would come forward that would be more proactive within the community and want to pick this thing up and run with it more. And what I was hoping was to, to find people that would play a more active role and that I could start to hand over some control to. Uh, so control of things like PRs, uh, control of maybe deployments, uh, control of uh, at some probably more distant point in the future, um, the, the, even the relationships of things with like the FBI. How do we get the right organizations feeding data into it? So a bunch of different people made contributions. Um, 
Stefan made quite a, a, a lot. And just to, to clarify for everyone, I know he knows who he is, but for everyone else, Stefan works for CCP Games based in Reykjavik in Iceland. They make EVE Online, which is the massively multiplayer game that's hugely popular. And they were the first big user of Pwn Passwords back in 2018. So very soon after uh, Junaid at Cloudflare built the Kanonimity model and we started providing uh, an anonymous way of looking up passwords, Stefan put in the effort at CCP Games to start using this list to block known bad passwords. And he wrote a lot about it publicly as well, not just about the technology, but also how they worked on things like the wording. Like how do you communicate to someone, a normal consumer using your platform, that the password they're using has been in a data breach without it looking like your service has been breached or without being derogatory to them about their poor choice of passwords. Like how do you get the balance? Uh, so they put a lot of work into that. They iterated on it. He wrote about it. He did a bunch of conference talks at it, uh, including at my favorite event, NDC, which just by pure coincidence, I'm wearing the NDC London hoodie. Um, I'm also marrying an NDC organizer. <laughs> That's how much I like the conference. Um, so, uh, so he's traveled in very close circles the last few years. And we've had many beers in many countries as well. So someone I know personally, uh, and we've, we've hung out... Um, in many, many different previous occasions. And I guess the point I'm getting to here is it's someone that I know pretty well uh, and trust and lives in this ecosystem, Microsoft MVP as well. And Stefan was not only submitting code, but reviewing other people's code. Uh, and he and I didn't discuss this at all before the Pwn Password stuff. I don't think he knew anything about what I was doing with .NET Foundation or FBI until I announced it. And then I kept saw him popping up and, and it was literally only this week and I was like, Jeez, look, Stefan's putting in a lot of work here. I know this guy really well. I wonder if he would like to be more involved in actually approving some of the PRs uh, and, and helping uh, helping make me redundant, which I think is really the goal here. Like, how do we make it so that initially pwned passwords and later all of Have I Been Pwned can run without me? Because I don't want to be the single point of failure. And it's, it's not that I, I don't want to be the single point of failure because I don't want all the work. That's part of it. But I also want it to live on beyond me um, and maybe in, in the last sort of 18 months we're all a little bit more aware of our own own inevitable end at some point so it has to live on without me so this is the first step where someone's going to start to get control uh, of what actually goes into have I been pwned code wise so Stefan's uh, he's in there now I haven't actually checked because I've been busy trying to fix my lights but he's now in there with the ability to approve PRs we're working on the deployment pipeline the other thing we've got to talk about mate actually is is uh, some of those contributions for ingestion pipeline for FBI because that's the thing that we're really here to build but I've had lots of good submissions around everything from upgrading .NET Framework versions through to uh, uh, upgrading the version of Azure Functions it's running on through to making my code better. One of the early things that Stefan did I thought was really cool is he's like, look, the regex that you're using to verify uh, that it is a valid hash prefix, you know, basically like five characters of hexadecimal, um, rather than using that regex, we can use a different sort of pattern matching technique here and we can save millisecond, I think it was like nanoseconds. It was a very small amount on each check. But it's like, this is great. This is exactly the sort of stuff I want from the community because I don't have the time to sit there and profile all this and see where I can save the milliseconds, but I'm really glad other people do. So that's, uh, that's right with that. 
I, for the most part, just get up each day and do what I think makes sense with pwned passwords. I haven't thought much much more beyond, in fact, all I have I've been pwned. I haven't thought much more beyond it other than what I've just outlaid there. But hopefully we're, we're moving quickly towards, uh, first of all, a deployment of the revised code doing what it already does. And then secondly, uh, obviously deploying code which starts to do password ingestion so that we start to get a bunch more passwords that aren't in that stupid Rock U 2021 list. All right, I'm going to look at the comments here. And if anyone has any questions for me or for Stefan, since he's here as well, please drop them in there. Um, how does Troy have time for this, but not for HRBP or any leaks, unless he is in them himself? I mean, I think 25 data breaches myself and Have I Been Pwned is in, has 500 something breaches. So that doesn't really pass the bullshit test, if I'm honest. Um, Stefan says, uh, no, Stuart says, uh, I've been referencing Stefan's work integrating pwn passwords internally where I work. Getting traction is a nightmare. Department-wise, I think people are on board. Other departments just blockers. It's always the way, right? It's always the way. There, there has to be sufficient incentive. But have a read of, obviously I have been having a read of Stefan's stuff, but uh, I like what he wrote even years ago about, you know, how... How do you convince people that this is actually a good thing to do? For organizations, I would suggest that looking at the cost of account takeover is a really good place to start. And then using some of Stefan's figures to look at, I remember one of his posts probably some years ago, was referencing how much improvement they found over passwords after implementing these checks. So try and tie it back to money. That that normally talks <laughs> within organizations. Stuart also says, thanks, Stefan, for your efforts. And obviously, Troy, for putting it out there. No problems. Um, Stefan, if you send me, uh, don't put it in the thread here, but DM me your your physical address and I will send you some stickers. I'm going to send you a lot of stickers, actually, and some 3D printed logos. Uh, I'll need your mother's maiden name and your favorite color as well. So send all those through and I'll, I'll send them over to you. Someone here says, Troy, what do you do with old iPhones when you buy new ones? I give them to the kids. Uh, they, I literally hand them down until they are obsolete. Uh, now, what I mean by obsolete is they get to the point where they can no longer take updates. <laughs> so the uh, I've handed down an iPad multiple times to my son. It can no longer run current gen iOS. It's just not getting updates anymore. I will probably rotate another one down to him at some point. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much what happens to him. Stefan says, traction can be hard. Best way is if you can show hard data. I've tweeted them a few times from our experience. I'll see if I can repeat it. There's info in my conference talk as well. Very good. Opinions in tech. Question for you on the future. You seem to have really figured out where your place in security ecosystem is. Can you give any advice to really find and achieve your passions? Honestly, I'm, I'm winging it. I'm totally winging it. Like there is no grand plan. I wrote a blog post called uh, how I optimize my life to make my job redundant, which probably has a, a bunch of interesting stuff in it. But I think that the first of all, like I'm mid 40s and a lot of this has only been very recent. So there is a, a lot of time <laughs> goes into getting to here. But the thing that worked really well for me is in the 14 years that I was working for Pfizer in my corporate job up until just over six years ago now. I was there as a software developer and then as an architect and I was using my spare cycles to write my blog, to write code. I had things before Have I Been Pwned which didn't go anywhere. Uh, I used it to go to user groups and to speak at conferences and things like that. And I just kept, uh, 
I used to know someone who'd say, look, you just keep swinging the bat. You keep swinging the bat and eventually you hit something. That's not necessarily say you keep trying until you make a fortune or something like that, but you keep trying until you find something that resonates and that you're passionate about. Uh, and for me, it was it was that first blog post. Well, really, it was probably about 2009, uh, 2009, 2010, I started finding that security was resonating. And it took many, many years after that until I made any money of any significance out of it. And it's it's just literally been getting up each day going, what do I think makes sense today? I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to do today. Most days are like this. Unless I've got a conference talk or a presentation or something or a media interview scheduled, most of the time I just get up and I go, what am I going to do today? Um, what am I going to do today? I've got to make the Shelly work. <laughs> and this has got nothing to do with security. In fact, whilst I've been playing around with this stuff, I've been thinking this is really the way I started in security. And it might be five years from now, I'm like the IoT guy, not the security guy. I don't know. But I think what worked for me was on one hand having the luxury of having a stable job that that paid like a normal corporate job but paid well in this industry and that gave me the time to go and pursue passion and figure out what was going to work for me. But on the other hand, like just putting in just copious numbers of hours and effort until I found things that that resonated with me in terms of, of what I found interesting and also made me money because you, you kind of need that to, to live to be able to pursue your passions. So I want to do more talks about this later on. So there is a talk that I have done before called Hack Your Career. If you go to troyhunt.com forward slash recorded dash talks, look for Hack Your Career. Uh, that talks a lot about this sort of stuff as well. Burton, what's the next part of open sourcing HOBP? Uh, it's Stefan helping deploy phone passwords, probably. I'd, I have actually started to have a bit of a think about that. Uh, I would actually like some of the API stuff. I think maybe that's one of the next logical pieces to go open source because that's where I think the greatest gain is, making the API stuff uh, more efficient, making it... It doesn't have to be more scalable because I haven't, really haven't reached the ceiling on that now. It's all in functions. Making it more efficient, handing that over to the community, tying in things like the API key and the Azure API management stuff, doing things like annual billing for people that want it. I'm just cautious that what I really love about Pwn Passwords is that there is no monetization of any kind whatsoever in that. And I feel very comfortable with the community making contributions to that. When you get to something like an API key, the noise is about to start, the builders just got here. When you get something like the API key, uh, that's that's when people are paying money for something. And it's not that I'm worried about open sourcing something because there's financial transactions. It's more that because there is money made out of that, I don't feel the same about having community contributions made to it. But like I just said before, I get up each day and I just figure out what makes sense on the day. Um, <laughs> Stefan's going to send me his credit card details, which are awesome. What happens to your old Velcro watch strap? Is the new one more secure for the ski? So the, the main thing, totally different topic now, the main thing with watch straps, this one is the, is the solo loop. So the piece like that. I used to have a Velcro one, but particularly when I go wakeboarding, if you hit hard, there are a few times where the strap started to come undone. And I'm like, if this expensive Apple watch <laughs> falls off in the water, like that's it. Um, the, I, was, I was about to say, look, I have to go and buy a new one. I'm worried about that. I'm probably even more worried about not closing my exercise rings for the day because the watch is now sitting at the bottom of the canal. Uh, but no, this one is actually super, super solid. Christian, you're going, to, you're going to water jet skiing. You're going to water jet skiing without the accident first. 
Uh, I think that might have been in relation to the whole idea of if I have a jet ski accident uh, and I reach an early demise, who looks after have I been pwned? On that very morbid note, uh, Stefan will look after part of it and will make him more and more responsible as time goes by. Thanks very much for joining. I will wrap all this up. I'll put it in a blog post, publish that out probably later today. If you've got any more questions or feedback, drop them in there. And then I'll do this again next week at the other end of the day. Thanks, folks. See you next time.